Welcome back to the Locust Grove Podcast. You are listening to our Wednesday night Bible study series, What is the Gospel? This week, we are studying response, specifically our response through repentance. We consider not only what it means to respond originally to the gospel, but what it means to respond continually to the gospel through repentance, as that leads to our sanctification as believers. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by what you hear. Well, last week we uh, began studying this proper response to the gospel as we're, as we're on the tail end now of this study, uh, this deep dive study into the gospel, reminding ourselves of the simple truths of the gospel, uh, reminding ourselves um, how we can uh, helpfully preach the gospel to ourselves every day, but now we're really talking about how we respond to the gospel every day. Once we've preached it to ourselves, how do we respond to it every day? And now, uh, last week we began talking about this response with faith, and my original intention was to talk about faith and repentance both last week. We didn't, didn't quite get all the way through repentance, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap that up tonight. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit briefer than we were last week, but uh, nonetheless, uh, an incredibly important aspect, uh, an ongoing aspect, right? These responses that we're talking about in faith and re- repentance, uh, these are ongoing responses to the gospel, right? We're, we're constantly responding to the gospel in faith, living faithfully to the gospel. We're, we're constantly called upon to respond to the gospel in repentance. And we'll see how that looks uh, for the believer tonight. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I'll use a couple of different verses tonight as we do this dive into repentance, but we're sort of going to set up shop here, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, thinking about what repentance means. If you remember last week, we began with Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus told uh, as, he's, as He's coming onto the scene, right? This is the very beginning of His uh, public ministry, if you will. Repent and believe the Gospel. And so we talked about believing. We talked about faith last week. We talked about how it's turning to Jesus and relying on Him for salvation. But there's really two sides of this response coin. There's also uh, this side of repentance, And so we would define repentance maybe this way, the turning away from sin, right? So faith is turning to Jesus, but when we turn to Jesus, we're turning away from something else, and that's repentance. We're turning away from sin. We're we're hating our sin, and we're resolving by God's strength to ultimately forsake our sin, even as we are turning to Him in faith. And so that's really uh, the context here of what's happening in Acts Chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, Peter is now imploring the crowd to do this very thing. And you see here he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Another way to interpret that would be, Repent ye therefore and turn. It's, uh, the exact, it's the exact same Greek word, could be translated and turn. And so we, we see this idea of turning to Jesus, but as we turn to Jesus, we're turning from something else. In fact, Paul reinforces the idea 
Over in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, he says that they should repent and turn to God. It's the same word used in verse 20 of chapter 26 that is used there in chapter 3, verse 19. Now, here's what, here's what we can understand pretty simply, I think, intellectually as Christians, that, that repentance isn't just meant to be like this optional plug-in to the Christian life. It's not like we respond to Jesus in faith and then we have the option of whether or not we repent. right? It's not that faith is the only prerequisite, it's faith and repentance. right? A proper response to the Gospel is one of faith and repentance. You can believe as hard as you want to believe that Jesus was who He said He was, that He did what He said He did, but if you don't actually repent of your sins, then there's... No salvation, right? It requires faith and repentance. And so it is absolutely crucial, right, to, to understand this, to, to, to understand that it's only those who have been marked off or marked out by repentance that have truly been saved, right? And so just because you say, just because you can affirm intellectually that, that Christ is the Messiah, doesn't lead to salvation. It requires faith and repentance. And so uh, what we're saying here is that true repentance isn't just accepting Jesus as Savior, but it is surrendering to Him as Lord. This is why I say it's really easy to understand this intellectually. I hope that everyone in the room agrees with me when I say uh, repentance is a prerequisite for salvation. You can't be saved without it. right? We can't be saved until we say, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm a rebellious against you, and my only hope is from tur- is is turning away from this sin and turning to Christ. Right? That's the complete equation for salvation. You can acknowledge you're a sinner, but if you don't acknowledge that salvation, if you don't turn from your sin and turn towards Christ, then uh, then then there is no salvation. It takes it takes both, and we can affirm that intellectually. But where we really struggle is is very practically with this surrendering to Him as Lord. Now I want us to think about this for just a few moments, what it means to surrender to Jesus as Lord. Right? We, and this, isn't, this isn't an uncommon concept, just like last week when we were talking about faith. It's not an uncommon concept. But I think when we look at our lives, there are a number of times that we find ourselves proclaiming faith in Jesus without actually allowing Jesus to ever be Lord over our life. Right? For Jesus to be Lord over my life means I surrender everything to Him. Right? My, my plans, my family, my finances, my future, man, it's all His. Right? What, what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to do the next day and the next day, who I'm going to talk to, who I'm going to share, all of that is just simply surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Right? But how many times, even as Christians, are we guilty of waking up in the morning and instead of taking up the cross of Christ we end up just taking up our own yoke, right? Our, 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 own, um, our own desires, our, our own plans, our, our, our own interests, right? And so we're, we may pray, right? We, we may acknowledge that Jesus is there. And it's like, you know what, Lord? I'm, I'm, my plan is to do this today and I pray that You bless me, right? Lord, this is, this, is what, this is what I want to achieve. This is what I want to accomplish. This is, the, this is the career I want. This is the family I want. This is the thing that I want to do with the rest of my life, whatever the case may be. And so, Lord, I just pray that You would bless it. 
See, that's not surrendering to Jesus as Lord, is it? That is, that is acknowledging uh, that Jesus exists, but looking at Him not as Lord, but as your uh, almost genie in the bottle, right? Where you can make these wishes and, and encourage Him to help you along the way. And I really do believe at the heart of the Christian struggle to be faithful disciples, the Christian struggle to do evangelism, to do missions, to do any of these things, at the very heart lies a struggle to really surrender our lives to Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, when we, regardless of how much we talk about discipleship or what all discipleship entails, that's not something that we're naturally inclined to do. None of us are naturally inclined to do the things that we've been learning that a disciple does, even just recently, even over the last few weeks in the Gospel of John. It's just not natural to us, right? It's, it, to, our, to our flesh, to our brokenness, it's not, those aren't things we're going to aspire to do. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, all of a sudden, all of the things that, that hold us back, right? The being timid, the, the fear, the, the worry, the doubt, the concern, all of those things that stand as, as blockades between us fulfilling the mission of God and us avoiding the mission of God are suddenly, are suddenly wiped away as we simply say, you know what, Lord, my life is yours. Right? I surrender my life for your life. Now, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about turning from our sin when we talk, and turning to Jesus in faith, it doesn't mean that the Christian will never sin again. This is very important theologically. right? There, there is even debate over this issue amongst uh, the sort of the conservative evangelical community, right? Whether, whether or not um, salvation is something that's permanent or something that can be lost, right? Whether grace is something that we have permanently or whether grace is something that we can fall from. And, and really, uh, what all of that stems back to is a struggle to reconcile the true meaning of repentance and what repentance really is and what it really looks like. And so let's take just a moment to think about this. Again, repenting of sin doesn't necessarily mean that you stop sinning. It certainly doesn't mean that you're going to stop sinning altogether. right? Hopefully everyone in this room has repented of your sins and turned to faith in Jesus. Even if that's true, everyone in this room still sins. right? You've sinned this week. You've, I would be so bold as to say we've all even sinned today. And so, so how, what, how do we make sense of this? right? How do we put these pieces together? How do, we, how do we reconcile the fact that there are particular areas in my life and your life where we continue to struggle even though we've repented of our sins? And maybe not even just once, right? Maybe we do it frequently. Maybe, we, maybe we've made a good practice of, of repenting, right? Of, of falling down before the Lord and acknowledging our brokenness and the things that we're struggling with. But here's the reality. Christians are still fallen sinners even after God has given us new spiritual life. In the flesh, we are still sinful and we'll continue to struggle with sin until we are ultimately glorified with Jesus. Right? At the moment, so as we think about, so we think about the permanence of salvation, right? This is, why, this is why the doctrine of justification is so important. At the moment we turn from our sin and we turn in faith to Jesus, we are justified in Christ, right? That means, that means the verdict is settled, 
Right? That justification is not temporary. It's not something that can be wiped away. Once you are justified in Christ, you are justified in Christ. And we look forward to the day when we will be glorified in Christ. And when we're glorified in Christ, that's when you and I don't have to worry about sin any longer. Right? That's the day we long for. But in the middle is this process of sanctification. And the process of sanctification is a process that, that, that sinful humans, right, that fallen creatures, uh, that fallen humanity goes through from the moment that we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus in faith until the moment we're glorified. And that process of sanctification can be really difficult sometimes. It can be really frustrating sometimes. I would even go as far as to say sometimes it can be really discouraging because we keep doing things that we know we ought not to be doing. But here's the thing. Even, even if repentance doesn't mean this immediate end to our sinning, it does mean, and this is really at the heart of sanctification, it does mean that we will no longer live at peace with our sin. Now I want you to think about that for just a second. This is, this is the big difference between someone who is in Christ, who is saved in Christ, and someone who is not in Christ. If you are in Christ, right? if you have repented of your sin, turned from your sin and turned to Jesus, then you will no longer be willing to live at peace with your sin. And that's why sometimes sanctification feels frustrating. That's why sometimes it's discouraging because, because you know that there is part of you that you just cannot live at peace with. Right? There's that decision you made. There's that thing that you said. There was that thing that you thought. Right? There was that thing that you did. And you can't live at peace with it. And so your lack of peace with sin is proof, one, of your justification. But two, it's proof of your sanctification. And three, it should make you long all the more for your glorification. And so many, many, many Christians struggle hard with this idea of repentance because they somehow expect that if they genuinely repent, sin will just go away. Right? And, and temptation will just stop. And if it doesn't go away or if temptation doesn't stop, then, well, I must not really be saved. Or I, I must need to be saved again because the sin is still here. This temptation is still here. And when that doesn't happen, man, they just fall into this deep, deep despair begin questioning whether, whether their, their faith in Jesus is even real. And listen, it, it, it's true that when God regenerates us, right, when He saves us, He gives us power to fight against and even to overcome sin. Paul, that's what Paul said to the church in Corinth in Corinthians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 13. But because we continue to struggle with sin until we're glorified, we have to remember, we have to remember that genuine repentance is fundamentally a matter of the heart's attitude towards sin. It's not in mere behavior. And so again, I think we're getting a little bit deeper into this issue where, where people misunderstand or misrepresent uh, the eternal nature of our justification, the eternal nature of our salvation. When we, when we think of it just in terms of behavior... If that's the only thing that, you, that, that, that we think of when we think of the change that happens in us when we're in Christ, then yeah, it would appear that there's, some, there's something lacking in our justification. There's something lacking in our salvation. Because you know as well as I do, we still misbehave even after we're Christians. 
We still do things that we shouldn't do. And so if we're just looking at behavior, then it would appear as if those salvation was either lost or never happened. But where we really look is at the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is the heart of the person. You see, we're not just talking about external actions here. We're not just talking about external behavior. We're talking about when we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus, we're talking about how the attitude of our heart changes towards sin. And if the attitude of your heart has changed towards sin, then you have assurance that you've been justified. If the attitude of your heart has changed towards sin, then you have assurance that you are in the process of sanctification. Because your heart loathes that sin, even though you still commit it, right? Even though you're still guilty of of saying things you shouldn't say, you're still guilty of falling into habits that you shouldn't fall into. Man, there is a discontentment in your heart that is almost unexplainable. You hate that sin. You loathe that sin. You are in opposition with that sin until you get to the point where you say, you know, Lord, here I am struggling yet again. Here is my sin, Lord. My heart cannot rest until I acknowledge this sin before you and ask you to forgive me of it. And there the sanctification process is taking place. And so that's really what we have to ask ourselves. It's not, do we continue to sin? The real question is, do we really hate our sin? Do you have a burning passion within your heart to wage war against your sin? Or do we cherish our sin? Do we defend our sin? Do we seek to justify our sin and say, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's really not that bad. Maybe this habit really wasn't, isn't that wrong. Maybe the way I'm viewing that person really isn't that far out of line, right? And we're constantly doing this, right? This is just another problem of the fallen, of the fallen human nature. We're, we're, Satan wants us to work to justify our sin, right? Because if we justify our sin, then our heart's not going to wage war against our sin. And so if he can deceive our minds into trying to convince our heart not to hate our sin, then all of a sudden sin continues to do its its deadly work of corrupting and distorting the image of God in us and our image of God before us. And so we have to ask the question, do we really hate our sin and want to wage war against it, or do we cherish it and want to defend it? One writer puts this truth beautifully. He says, the difference between an unconverted and a converted man is not that one has sins and the other has none, but that one takes part with his cherished sins against a dreaded God, and the other takes part with a reconciled God against his hated sins. You see, true salvation is about choosing sides. The side of sin or God's side. Taking the side of a reconciled God against our hated sins or taking the side of our cherished sins against a dreaded God. But listen, when a person genuinely repents and believes in Christ, the Bible says that he's given new spiritual life. As, As Paul said to the Ephesians, "...as for you, you were dead." and your transgressions and sins. But then he goes on, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, paraphrasing here, but because of His great love for us, right? He's talking about God. Because of His great love for us, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
So when that happens, our life changes. It doesn't always change immediately. It doesn't always change quickly. And sometimes it may not even feel like it's changing steadily. But it does change. And the way we know for sure that it's changing, Paul says, is we'll bear fruit. What kind of fruit? The kind of fruit that will, be, that, will be, uh, that will be brought forth by those who are abiding in the vine, right? So we go back to John that we've been studying and we look at what kind of fruit Jesus is expecting His disciples to produce. And so essentially Scripture tells us that we should be marked by the same kind of love, compassion, goodness that characterized Jesus Himself, right? True Christians will perform deeds uh, in, in keeping with their repentance, in, in Acts chapter 26, verse 20 that I referenced earlier, at the end of that verse, that's what Paul says. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about turning from your sin. He says, when you turn from your sin, you will perform deeds that are in keeping with your repentance. They're consistent with your repentance. Jesus said, each tree is known by its own fruit. Right? He said, figs aren't going to be gathered from, from thorn bushes. Right? And, and, and grapes aren't going to be picked from a thorn bush or from a bramble bush, he calls it. In other words, when people are given new spiritual life, they begin to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. They begin to live like Jesus lived, right? They begin to bear the fruit that Jesus bore. So one thing that we must constantly guard against is any thought that those fruits are the cause of our salvation. Because this is tricky. This is for, for those of us who affirm the eternal nature of our salvation, it's really easy for us to all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're keeping, we, we got the fruits that are keeping with repentance, right? We're, we're, we're being faithful to, to, to do what Jesus did, to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved. And it's really easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking all of a sudden our salvation is actually based on those fruits. Our salvation is actually based on the things that we are doing, the things that we have done. We begin to feel good about ourselves. That's how we become puffed up. That's how we become prideful. You see, there is always a danger that when we begin to see this fruit, that we suddenly begin to rely on that fruit for salvation. And when we're relying on that fruit for salvation, that means that instead of relying on Christ every day, instead of reminding ourselves of the gospel of Christ who died for us every day, all of a sudden we're starting to rely on, our, on ourselves and our own righteousness, on our own, on our own power. And so what we have to realize is that the fruit that we bear, the fruit that is, that is in keeping with repentance, is the fruit of a tree already made good by God's grace in Christ. Right? Any fruit that our tree bears, if you will, is the result of our tree being made good by God's grace in Christ. And so to rely on our own Christian fruit to secure God's favor will ultimately shift our faith from, from Jesus to ourselves. And that's not salvation. That's not salvation at all. That's actually the rejection of Christ as Lord over our lives. But when we have surrendered to Christ as Lord over our lives, then we will keep with the fruit of repentance. And it doesn't mean our sin will come to a halt. It doesn't mean that it will end for good doesn't mean that we won't struggle today or tomorrow or the next day. We most certainly will. But our hearts will be waging war against every sin at every moment and every corner 
of our lives. We will not rest. We, we will not be comfortable. We will not have any confidence uh, in ourselves until we have surrendered, surrendered all of that sin, surrendered all of those thoughts to Christ and said, you know what, Lord? My life for your life. My sin has, 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 has distracted me. It's distorted Your image in me. It's, it's distorted my view of You. And so, Lord, would You forgive me of this sin? Would You continue the process of sanctification in me so that I can continue to look forward to the day when I will be glorified in Christ, but continue to present the Gospel of Christ to my neighbors? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for Your Word. We are Thankful for what, Lord, truly is the gift of repentance. Lord, there is absolutely no reason, no merit in us that even deserved an opportunity to repent of our sins. But Lord, in Your goodness, and Lord, even in Your jealousy, You saw fit to offer us an opportunity to repent of our sin and turn to Your Son Jesus so that Your image in us might be restored, that our relationship with You might be reconciled, and that we might be transformed more into the image of Your Son Jesus. And so, Lord, we are incredibly grateful for justification, to be, to be justified before You, for You to, to look at us and not even see us, but to see Your Son Jesus. Lord, that our guilty verdict was leveled on Him so that we might have eternal life. But Lord, we are thankful for the process of sanctification that though while You tarry, while we continue to, to live and to serve in this world in these broken and these fallen bodies, Lord, that You engage in the process of sanctification by which You reveal to us daily the depths of our sin, the heir of our ways. And so Lord, we thank You that we, have, that we have this process of repentance where we can lay our sin before You. We can just lay our lives open before You and say, Lord, here it is. Here is all my dirty laundry. Here is all the dark corners of my life, Lord, that You have already known, that You have already seen. But Lord, here they are. We acknowledge them before You, Lord. Would You forgive us of them. And Lord, we're thankful that each and every time we do that, each and every time our heart refuses to live at peace with any sort of sinful action or sinful attitude, Lord, that You were faithful to sanctify us, to, make, to mold us, to form us more into the image of Your Son, Jesus. And Lord, so long as we have breath in these lungs, we pray that You would lead us and teach us and guide us in this process of sanctification, but Lord, that You would encourage us daily, reminding us that, that this world is not our home, that this fallen body is not our eternity, but that we long for the day, Lord, when we will be glorified in Your Son, Jesus. And sin will be no more, pain and sickness and sadness will be no more, but all will be as it was intended to be. And You will ultimately be glorified above all else. And so Lord, every day as we preach the Gospel to ourselves, bring to the forefront of our minds our sin. But Lord, leave us longing and looking for the day 
when we'll be glorified in your Son, Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We want to encourage you to be able to engage with Locust Grove on a new level. We are now receiving questions. These questions can be theological questions, questions about the Bible, about biblical history, Christian history, church history, or even questions concerning contemporary moral and ethical issues. You can submit these questions in person when you enter our sanctuary in the vestibule. There's a box there for you to be able to write your questions and submit them. Or you can submit them online. You can reach out to us through our church email, locustgrovebaptistchurch at gmail.com, through our Facebook page, through our church website, or even through our podcasting platform. You can submit your questions directly to us at anchor.fm forward slash podcast. We can't wait to hear some of the great questions that you'll have. We can't wait to be able to answer those questions and make sure that the church, that the body of Christ, that disciples are well informed and well equipped to be able to go into this world and make much of Jesus.